So I want to invite up Aram, and I think he's going to tell you a little bit about himself too. So, and also, you know, give a sermon and stuff. You have yeah, that right. I you think did so. that. Okay. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Well, good to see you guys. Good morning. Um, you know, it's not very often that I stand in front of a room of strangers and talk about myself. That's a little bit strange. So I want to spend a little bit of time just talking about me and my family and how we got here um, and kind of what we're doing here before we go into the passage today. Uh, my name's Aram. I know you already heard that. For some reason, I wrote that in my notes. It says my name is Aram. I don't know why I needed to actually write that down, but um, uh, I've been married for 15 years. And this service, my wife is actually here with my kids. I have three kids, a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old daughter, and then a 10-year-old son. Um, I have known Ed for, we worked together for probably five years in California at a church there. So I've seen him uh, at some of his highs and lows. I won't go into lots of details. Actually, I won't tell any stories, even though I could, because he's not in the room, technically. I could tell stories. But I think he's going to watch online so I won't go into lots of details. But if you want to talk about it, just come up after. We'll talk about it. Um, in California, we, uh, my wife and I, we were involved in a lots of ministry that was focused on neighborhood community outreach. So we spent a lot of time with our neighbors. We spent a lot of time in our community with our, school, uh, with our kids' school, uh, building relationships and uh, and using our community as a means to communicate the love and the truth of God to the people in our neighborhood. And I was simultaneously going to school and getting my undergrad, and we just started to feel a few years ago like God was using all of those circumstances and all of our experience in our neighborhood to get us ready for the process of church planting, but we had no idea what that was going to look like. And we still kind of don't know what it's going to look like. We, uh, we came up a, a couple years ago as I was getting ready to go into seminary. And uh, we came up to Portland and looked at the area, looked at the school, and really just felt united as a family that this is where we're supposed to be. Um, so now we moved up here last summer. That sounds very, very poppy. Is that me? No? Is that me? <laughs> I feel like it's going to shock me from behind or something. Um, so right now, uh, we moved up here last summer, and um, I'm part of a, I'm a church planting resident at a church in Southeast called Bread and Wine. And their whole mission is to, uh, is to do ministry the way that we did ministry in California. So building relationships in neighborhoods, groups of people that are serving and working out what it means to actually live the gospel in their neighborhood and community. I'm at Western getting my master's right now. Um, and so we're really involved with kind of the same kind of style of ministry that we were doing in California, but now we're doing it here. We're serving um, our community, building relationships with our neighbors, uh, doing a lot of stuff with the local schools and, and kids. For some reason, I'm on the PTA. I don't know. I always end up getting on the PTA for some reason. It's weird. Um, and we're trusting that God is using all those relationships as a means to like, communicate his love. As we love our neighbors, he's communicating his love for them. 
right? So uh, that's just a real brief overview, broad brush of kind of our family, how we got here, and our style of ministry. I'm really glad to be here. And actually, Ed and Ellie are such a blessing to us. Um, moving up here, we moved away from all of our family and all of the things that are comfortable. And having Pastor Ed um, be close has just been such a, an amazing thing. We don't get to hang out as much as we like, but we do spend time together, and it's like a little bit of family here. So I'm grateful to be here. Um, you guys are lucky to have Ed. He's such a great guy. Um, and I know that you're going through the book of Philippians. You started a series last week called Gratitude. I listened last week, so I know kind of where you're at in the story. Um, so the series on gratitude and what it is, you know, what is gratitude? How can we live in gratitude? Uh, what does it mean for us as believers in Jesus to live a life that's actually um, marked by this kind of gratitude that the Bible talks about. This morning, um, we're looking at Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. So if you want to open that up, you can, or we'll put it on the screen and then we'll read it together. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So, uh, before we uh, kind of jump into the passage, let's take a, a moment to pray together. Lord, uh, as we're gathered here this morning, we just pray that your spirit would be moving in our hearts, that this morning would be a time where we have a greater and deeper understanding of you, of your love for us, of your purposes and your will, and in the way that you're working in our hearts. Um, we're so grateful for that. We're grateful that you love us and you take care of us, and uh, we just lift your name up this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, the title of this message, if you looked on your notes, if it's on there, it says, uh, Gratefulness in Suffering. And first, I just want to commend you for being here uh, and for staying after you read the title was Gratefulness in Suffering. I think that last service, people actually left when they saw it was Gratefulness in Suffering. Or they went to the membership class. They were like, I'm out of here. I'm going to go do that. Um, because suffering is not actually something that's super comfortable for us to talk about. It's not something we like to experience, that's for sure, um, and, and because of that, it's something that we're uncomfortable kind of talking about with one another sometimes. Uh, there's entire groups of people, entire groups of believers that are like, um, that communicate 
that the gospel is about God actually removing our suffering. That if you just believe in God, right, all your problems will go away and you'll feel good. You just have to like make the choice and believe God. But if you have been a Christian for any amount of time, really, or just been a human for any amount of time, um, I think that you would, you would agree that that's actually not our experience. That's not what happens. Um, and that's not really what the Bible says about suffering. The Bible talks about the inevitability of suffering, right? It's going to happen when you suffer, when you experience these things, the Bible says. And the Bible talks about purpose in our suffering, that somehow something good is going to come out of our suffering. And that, um, I think that that's hard for us to understand, and it's hard for us to accept, especially when we experience suffering. Um, and that's why it's so uncomfortable to talk about, is that, you know, suffering is universal. We, ex- we all experience it to some degree. We all, uh, sometimes it's our own fault, you know, why we're experiencing suffering. And maybe that's even a little bit easier to swallow because it's like we did something wrong and then we're, we're experiencing the consequences of our actions. But most of the time, suffering is not our own fault. And we just are left with, like, what is going on? God seems unfair and unjust, and we're just having to sit here and take it. And we all go through things in our life that we'd rather not experience. And some of you are in the middle of that right now. Some of you are in the middle of a situation that is hard right now. And, and a lot of times, because suffering is hard, our, our reaction is just we just want it to go away. We want to not think about it. We want to do whatever we can to get past it so we can just kind of let it go. So when we're in a series, when you're in a series that's called gratitude, right, I think it leaves us with the question of, like, how do you live a life that is marked by gratitude when, you, when you're experiencing and around so much pain and suffering? Um, how can you be grateful at all uh, without being completely phony and, like, detached from reality when, when our experiences are not, uh, they're just not comfortable sometimes or good. Um, and even some, sometimes verses in the Bible feel a little bit hollow, like it's, it's for your good, you know? Uh, I talked a little bit about my kids. I have three kids, um, and uh, I love my kids a lot. My oldest, she's almost 14, but she is, um, you know, she's become, she's become a teenager, and actually parenting is, uh, it's different challenges, but it's actually a lot more fun. I think we, we have a lot of fun together, which is cool. But she is one of the most stubborn people that I've ever met. If you meet her today, you can uh, ask her about that. <laughs> no, she's uncomfortable. Um, when she, what I mean is when she gets something in her head that's like, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do this. Actually, it's usually not. When it's like, there's no way I'm doing this. There's nothing you can do to like convince her otherwise. She's like, this is not what I'm going to do. I don't like that. I'm not going to do it. And as she gets older, she realizes that we can't actually make her do it. Um, but she's been like that since she was little. She's been like that since she was a little kid. And I can remember... Uh, um, when she was four, 
what I'm going to tell you actually is like one of the low moments of, of my parenting. So I'm feeling very vulnerable right now. Um, one of the things she hated was taking medicine, right? Like uh, any kind of medicine. She's gotten way better about that, thankfully. But when she was little, it, it, you know what I'm talking about? The, the kind of Tylenol that is in an eyedropper for little kids where you like squeeze it out and you squeeze it in their mouth? Well, she hated it. She hated medicine and she wouldn't take it. And I can remember um, when she was a kid, she had a fever and she didn't want to take the medicine. And I was just like, I think I was, you know, I was alone. I was like, I don't know what to do. She won't take it. She needs to take it. And so I was just like, I just like got the dropper and like stuck it in her mouth and squeezed it. And you know what she did? She was like, <laughs> and just spit it all over me, right? It was like all over my face and shirt. Um, and I sat down. And I was like, man, I am the worst dad. Like here I am shoving this in my daughter's mouth and trying to get her to take it. And I think... The more I thought about it, we actually, I, I actually think sometimes we think of gratitude as a Christian kind of like that. Like, here's God who's saying, here's all these difficult, hard things, but it's for your good, so you actually, I'm just going to stuff it into your life, I'm going to stuff it into your mouth, and you just have to deal with it, uh, because it's going to come out for your good down the road. And if you feel like that, what I want to say to you is that's not actually how God is in regards to our suffering. Uh, that's not what the scriptures say about how God is in regards to our suffering. Uh, God is not the dab who's shoving the medicine into your life for your good. He actually, our suffering, it enables us to experience the love of God in a different way. Right? He's the loving father that wants to wrap his arms around you. So how can we even get there? How can we understand that um, at all? Because that seems like a really, that seems far off from what we experience and maybe what we think. And I think that this verse actually um, is Paul. Paul's going to deal with a lot of hard things that the church is going through. He's going to try to help them work through some hard things. And he starts with this. Uh, as kind of the foundation of like how he, how suffering in his life has been used so that when they're, when he's talking about their experiences, they can go back to that. So he reminds them of what happened to him, but he doesn't actually really talk about what happened to him. You guys talked a little bit about it last week. Um, I listened and uh, he said, like, they already know what happened to him. He's in prison, right? He is in prison for the gospel. And they obviously have a really close relationship, him and the church. At the beginning, in the intro to the uh, book, he talks about how he loves them and he's filled with gratitude for them and their participation in the gospel. Um, and they were probably worried, right, about his circumstances. They know he's in prison, they, it seems like a really bad thing, and they know all this other stuff is going on, and that seems like a bad thing. And he starts by reframing what's actually happened to him uh, in a different light. And he talks about the effects, like what's happened since he's been in prison. And I think that that actually, that actually sets the foundation for the rest of the book. So he's telling them, 
that they can see their own light, their own suffering in light of his experience and what's going on. So Paul starts by saying that uh, because of his suffering, the gospel is advanced. He says in verse 12 and 13, and I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So what he's saying to the church is what you see as my defeat is actually the way God is advancing the gospel. He says, what you see as like the worst thing that happened, that I'm in prison, that I can't come to you, that I can't uh, preach, that I can't do all these things that you see as valuable, because, uh, you see those things as bad. The reality is that God is using that to advance the gospel. It's not despite his suffering. It's actually because of his suffering that God is uh, advancing the gospel. And, you know, this isn't a new idea in the Bible. This is a, this is a theme that kind of runs throughout the Bible. If you think about, uh, if you know the story of Joseph in, in the book of Genesis, uh, he kind of embodies this idea in his life. And then at the end of the book, he, he makes a statement that kind of summarizes the whole thing. If you know the story, if you don't, um, basically he's uh, he's beaten by his brothers because they're jealous of him, and he's sold into slavery, right? He is wrongly accused while he's in slavery. All these things happen, and he's faithful through all of that. And God redeems the situation, so he's put in a position where he can actually take care of his family and, and help them and save them from a famine. And at the end of the book, his statement is, uh, his brothers are apologizing because they recognize that all this stuff has happened. And he says, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. And that, and that good is the saving of many lives, is what he says. And that's, that's really summarizing, I think, the whole theme throughout Genesis, where all these evil things are happening, people are doing all these evil things, and it, again and again and again, God's turning it for good over and over. And then that theme, it like spirals into the whole rest of the Bible, that God is able to overcome those circumstances and bring about good. So Paul sees his own suffering as a continuation of that story. He's acknowledging that we actually don't see the whole picture, that the church isn't seeing the whole picture, that his suffering is being used to advance the gospel, that God's able to bring about good things um, from things that, that they see and that we see as evil uh, or bad. So, I think that means for us that the things that we see as bad and evil and hard are, are opportunities for God to advance the gospel in, in different ways. You know, my family and I, uh, moving here, it's, you know, we moved away from um, a lot of comfort, a lot of things that uh, that brought us joy. Um, and we moved, you know, to Portland, which doesn't have uh, a reputation for being very friendly to the gospel, you know. 
And we have lots of friends that are like, what are you doing? Like, why, why would you do that? If you're going to plant a church, why would you plant it there? Uh, you know, my wife's a business owner. We had a lot. It's just a lot, basically rebuilding a lot of what we had built there, here. And um, how, and then since then, the, the first year, you know, in a lot of ways, it's been really hard. And how can we have hope in any of that? How can we have hope in the difficult situations? And our hope is rooted in the fact that through our uncomfortableness and through our, you know, suffering, that God is actually advancing the gospel in the lives of people. And I think that that's why Paul starts with this, is he wants the church to understand that all the difficult things they're experiencing, um, if they look at his own life, they look at the story of scripture and they look at his own life, they'll see that God is able to, to use those things to advance the gospel. Not just advance the gospel even though these things are happening. It's, he uses those things for that. And, you know, one, one thing, one way we can be grateful, that we can be grateful now, is holding on to that fact. The fact that the gospel can be advanced through our suffering, and I think that it can be advanced first within us. You know, the fact that we grow in our understanding of God, we grow in our dependence on God as we suffer, and we go through things that we don't understand and can't deal with alone. Um, it drives us to acknowledge our need for God. You know, James talks about how testing our faith, it produces perseverance and completeness and all these things that are working out within us. But it also, like in Paul's situation, it results in the gospel being advanced through him because he's put into situations where he wouldn't otherwise be around people he wouldn't expect. And those are opportunities for the gospel to be made known. So Paul says that through his suffering, the gospel is advanced. And he also says that through his suffering, uh, the church is encouraged. In verse 14, he says, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So I think what he's saying is that uh, people saw his reaction to his situation. They saw his response. And it gave them boldness, right? It encouraged them to actually persevere in their own lives. Um, because Paul's reaction, it affirmed the reality of what he said he believed. And in doing that, it pointed people to the reality of God. So suffering actually became his witness. Um, so this idea that suffering, that the suffering of Christians um, is their witness is not something new. It's something that the church uh, of history has understood um, because people over the years have experienced persecution and pain as a result of what they believe. And oftentimes, the, that persecution actually was the time when the church grew the most. 
And if you look through the book of Acts, you know, starting with uh, Stephen, when Stephen gets stoned, what happens? The church spreads, scatters, and spreads. And every time it looks like they're going to be defeated, they scatter and spread. Um, Ignatius of Antioch, who was one of the first Christian martyrs, he said this, Christians use suffering to argue for the superiority of their creed because they suffered better, is what he said. So that the suffering actually becomes the witness of the superiority of what we believe as, as Christians. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And he talks about three ways that Christians are distinct in their suffering. The first one is that Christians have a greater basis for hope. And what is that hope? The basis for hope is rooted in the belief of the resurrection. Uh, It's the idea that our response to suffering should be distinct because we have something greater that we have hope in than what we're experiencing now. Our hope is in the future, right? Our hope is in something that, uh, and then one day we're going to experience no pain and no suffering. So as we experience things today, we see them in light of that. Um, But that doesn't mean that it's not painful, right? Or that we should pretend it doesn't matter. Because the the second uh, thing that Tim Keller says is that Christians um, are distinct in their suffering because they have greater room for sorrow. So it's not about stuffing our emotions and pretending we're not, uh, pretending we're okay or like putting them away. If you read through the Psalms, there is no shortage of like true expression of grief in painful circumstances. Uh, there's whole books of the Bible that are all about lamenting, right? And just expressing sorrow to God. God doesn't want his followers to pretend that things aren't painful, but we have the freedom to express that and address that as we pursue God's love. And that, that brings us to the third point, which is that Christians are distinct because they have the comfort of God's fatherly care. That's what he says. So that's rooted in the belief that God actually loves us and cares for us. That we're not slaves to some inevitable, heartless fate that we just have to suffer and go through things because that's what happens. It's just on our plate. We actually have a God that we can approach that will wrap his arms around us and care for us. And as we do that, the people around us, I mean, we're encouraged through the love and care of God as we experience it, and the people around us are also encouraged by that. And they see that what we say we believe actually affects the way we live, the way we suffer, So, because our suffering is a reflection of what we believe, I think we can also look at it and see where maybe the things we say we believe don't line up to what the way we live, right? Like, if you believe that deep down, 
if you believe that God isn't really there for you, how do you respond to suffering? I mean, you respond by, like, trying to grab and seize control over every little aspect of your life and make it look like, uh, and try to just make it seem like everything's all together or that it's not bothering you. You have to find something to control because God's not going to do it for you if you don't trust him. So if that's your response, I think that suffering actually reveals that in us. And if you believe deep down that your hope comes from like the way people think about you or your reputation, when you experience suffering, you're going to try to like make it look like everything's okay. You're going to try to put on a good face and a stiff upper lip and just make it through so people don't think less of you or take advantage of you. Because your hope is in the way people think of you. And if you don't believe God is good enough to actually comfort you in the midst of your suffering, um, which I think this is where a lot of people find themselves, you, what do you do? You find a thing to make you feel better in the midst of your suffering. You go back to things that help you check out and um, give you some sense of feeling something when you're suffering. Because you just need something to make you feel good, so you're just kind of grasping and reaching and find something and pull it close because it actually makes you feel good. But God, God actually says that um, a Christian's response to suffering is like a response to an invitation. He invites us to deal with our suffering, not run from it, he invites us to bring the suffering to him. And he is waiting like a loving father to like embrace us and comfort us and counsel us through that. And he uses us as the body of Christ as a tangible expression of that as well. I was just talking to somebody out in the lobby between services who was talking about a lot of the grief and, and pain that he was having and how the church has come around him and actually been that comfort for him. So God, I mean, and then when we do that for each other, that people see that and they know that the church is a place where actually what we believe affects the way we live and that it's real. So Paul says through his suffering, the gospel is being advanced. He says that the church, through the suffering, his suffering, the church is being encouraged. People are being encouraged and I think that the last part is he gives us the key to kind of put all the pieces together. And that is, I screwed this up the first time. Key is the cross. So in verse, we'll start at verse 15. He says, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Well, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So how is it that Paul can say, despite all these things, and despite this opposition that I'm facing from people who are trying to hurt me while I'm in prison, how can, how can he say that he rejoices 
And I think it's because he understands the centrality of the cross. That without Christ, uh, you just have to accept that your suffering is actually meaningless and has no purpose. And you just have to find a way to cope with it or run from it. Uh, you try to get away from it and not feel bad, and it's just like it's just like you're holding onto a tree while the hurricane is passing over, and you're just waiting for it to be done, you know. And we pray like God, just take this thing away from me. But I think the only way we can look to our suffering um, and to our circumstances and find any kind of hope is if we see it in light of the cross. Uh, Martin Luther had a uh, um, talks, talks about the theology of the cross. And really, the essence of what he was teaching is that in the cross, everything that we see as power, we see like power, love, like good, all these things, we see uh, uh, all these attempts to grasp power. Uh, if we look at it in light of the cross, it's actually completely flipped upside down. That God, he displayed his love, he displayed his victory, he displayed his power in suffering and death. That's how he did it. So because of that, everything we understand is turned upside down. Christ's suffering then, it, 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 it's transformed into the means that we experience the blessing of God. What we see as defeat, like we were saying before, is, is upended and it's the means by which God secures our victory. So it's only in the shadow of the cross that suffering uh, can be seen with any kind of redemptive lens or hope. And that's, I mean, that is why um, through the lens of the cross, our suffering actually becomes a way that we're united with Christ in his suffering. That's why, you know, when we take uh, the, the bread and the, the cup together, we're celebrating, right, and declaring the victory that Christ had in his death. That's why, I mean, you know, we have a huge uh, wooden cross right there. That's why we can look at that, which is meant to be a image of um, power and death and suffering. That's why we can have this here and see it as anything other than bad. We look at that and we see life and hope and we see um, victory in the name of Christ because he suffered on there, on the cross. We have life. So that, I think, reframes how we understand our suffering. And... Um, you know, Hebrews has a passage. It's a, a pretty famous passage uh, from, it's called the, the Hall of Faith, I think, or there's different names for it, the Hall of Faith. And see, it starts, the author starts by listing off all these giant, like spiritual giants. It's like the MVPs of the Bible. Like this guy, Abraham did this. And it's like through faith, through faith, through faith. It's all great. Um, but the way he ends it is interesting. And actually, what I'm gonna do now is um, we're going to close. I'm going to close with this, but I, what I want you to do is um, just close your eyes as I read this, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would encourage you as you hear this.
Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Uh, They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so tightly, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray. Lord, um, we come to you right now and we bring all of the things in our lives that are hard, all of the things that are difficult, all of the things that uh, make us feel discouraged, and, um, and we, we lay those down at your feet. We recognize that it's only through the power of the cross that those things can be turned into anything other than um, our defeat. And so we pray that you would redeem the cir- situations and circumstances in our lives, that you would make your, yourself known, that the gospel would advance in the midst of our circumstances, and that as we respond and react to those things um, in light of the cross, that your church and your people would be encouraged and people would be drawn and see uh, your goodness. Uh, We love you, Lord, and we're so grateful for the fact that you turn those things into things that um, can actually bless us and others. And we love you, Lord, as our heavenly Father who wants to love us and embrace us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Dear Lord, uh, we do just declare your goodness and mercy. We declare uh, your goodness and mercy as displayed in the suffering, death, and and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, And that completely reframes our experience. I pray, Lord, that we would, as we leave here, we would feel your loving embrace as we bring our circumstances and lives before you and that we would experience uh, your hope and your redemption and your life and your victory. We love you, Lord, and we're so grateful that those things are made possible through uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. Go and be blessed.